Greetings. Welcome to White's Run Baptist Church Online. We're doing some special uh, presentations of Christmas narratives right now. This time of year, sometimes we like to take time and focus on that which is foremost in people's minds as they celebrate the holiday of Christmas. We like to bring you the scriptures and to really meditate upon what these great truths are, that the coming of Jesus Christ is, we are in the midst of it. He has come once and presented himself as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He is coming yet again. And so in this time in between, we celebrate this first Advent that is the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we have opportunity today in the book of Luke to take a look at one of the great songs that we find there. We find three hymns in the book of Luke during the birth narratives. And the one we're going to look at today is called the Magnificat, and it is by Mary after receiving the news and going to a relative Elizabeth. Uh, she celebrates with her and she says this wonderful poetry, what is essentially a psalm, and, and she exclaims these things out loud, and it is rich and full of good theology and full of good content and a great encouragement to you and I as we celebrate the holidays. And so uh, this is called the Magnificat. We're also going to look at the Benedictus and the Nuc Dimittis uh, on the next occasions, the next installments of this. So I hope you enjoy this look at the hymns in the birth narrative at ancient, ancient songs uh, of the coming of our Lord. So with that said, uh, what we want to do is we want to take a look at the occasions of these in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at beginning in verse uh, uh, verse 46 here is where her song begins properly. This is a form of a psalm of thanksgiving. And we want to think about uh, the context in which she is saying this. She is thanking God for what he is doing. Despite the burden that's going to be on her, the position it has put her in, uh, Mary has made herself available to the plans of God and has surrendered herself to what he is doing and is praising him for it. Some things to compare this to would be worthy to look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 in a woman there named Hannah who was barren, unable to have children, and she prayed to the Lord and he answered her prayer and, and gave her a child and she dedicated that child to the Lord and he became known as Samuel. So this is a fascinating uh, hymn that we find here because it's an extended contrast between the proud and the humble, between the unbelieving and the believing. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 18. Uh, he, he said that his coming marks a great turning over of things. He told a parable to some and who trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house 
justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The coming of Jesus Christ shows a great turning over. Things that the world values would be turned upside down. Those who truly fear the Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, another good cross-reference would be 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in which Paul speaks of the fact that it's the foolish things of the world that God has chosen to shame what the world would call wise. And so we look at the Christmas narrative, and this is what we see, this great turning over. The king creator of the universe comes into the world humble and lying in a manger. The parents, the chosen parents of God by this, for this child are unknown. They're from a small town. They're not found in the halls of rulers. They're not in the seats of the celebrated. Now, on the one hand, you've got magi from the east, powerful, intelligent, influential people traveling a long, long distance to pay him honor. But you also have at the side of his manger shepherds, the, the ceremonially unclean shepherds from the surrounding area, the poorest of the poor, coming to invited by an angel of the Lord to come and pay a visit. This is the way of God. From the highest high with all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus Christ came and he humbled himself to the lowest low, clearly showing his availability to all who love his appearing, to all who would come to him and know him. The coming of Jesus is always qualified. The coming of Jesus does not benefit everyone. And it is in this time of year especially that we want to warn all who would dare celebrate Christmas of this great truth. Christmas represents the coming of Jesus and a great sorting out of the human race. And it's shown clearly here in the Christmas narratives and in the song that we're going to examine by Mary. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Jesus was appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel, a sign that would be opposed. See, Jesus was celebrated by some, but he was despised by others. And so we see a great contrast here given between these two groups, those who would despise his coming, those who would love his coming. And so we want to take a look then, uh, beginning in Luke um, chapter 1, and we're going to back up and we're going to come uh, with Mary to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is already pregnant with John the Baptist. Let's take a look at the scriptures here. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her 
from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you this day, for indeed you have done great things. You have not let the world spin out of control since the sin of Adam. And Lord, as we all join him in that, Lord, you have intervened. You have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to do a great sorting out, to save many. For Lord, without your intervention, none would have been saved. But Lord, you have been merciful. You have been kind. You have intervened and are intervening in the world today. Let us praise you for it. Let us understand it. And let us have the boldness to proclaim it as Mary did. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have a a blessed scene, a wonderful scene, and we're going to see quite a bit here as we explore this this great contrast between the proud and the humble. I want to begin with the proud, and I want you to see that, first of all, the proud are scattered, according to verse 51 there. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has been scattering. He scattered humanity at the Tower of Babel. He sent packing the Assyrian commander who said such great boastful things against the Lord in Isaiah 36 and 37. Isaiah and Hezekiah, in contrast, humbled themselves in prayer, and an angel of the Lord came and destroyed 185,000 men of the Assyrian army, and Sennacherib, their leader, was sent back and betrayed in his homeland by his very own sons. This is, he said, proud and boastful things uh, via his messenger to the people of Israel. Boastful things over God. And I'll, I'll warn you now, if you're one of those who mocks God, who scoffs at the lack of seeming evidence of the truth, who mocks the people of God, go right now and open your Bible to Isaiah chapters 36 and 37 and read this great account and see what part you may have in this story. God scatters the proud. Now she says also that the proud were brought down. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Hannah had much the same reaction. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, uh, a woman named Hannah comes along and, and we see one of God's great reversals. Many are counted in Scripture. These great reversals where the boastful and the proud, the godless, are are defeated, are cast down, and those of humble estate are lifted up. And one of those is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 
where Hannah was barren, but she was the favored wife of her husband. And her rival, the, the other wife, who had been blessed with children, was very haughty in her attitude toward Hannah and despised Hannah and persecuted Hannah. But Hannah humbled herself before the Lord and prayed, and God blessed her. I think of another great overturning in 1 Samuel 17, shortly after this account. We find David, uh, a young David, seventh son of a man, uh, the youngest, the one who was you know, while everyone else went off to war, he's caught, you know, he's stuck watching the sheep. But this this Philistine comes and he's big and he's strong and he's boastful and he's blaspheming the God, the Lord, the God of Israel. But David puts all the focus upon God. He comes out trash talking, but not about himself, about the Lord. He comes out boldly facing Goliath in the strength of the Lord. Modern man, with his haughtiness, with his arrogance, with the the Hollywood elites and the political snobs of the world, looking down on Christianity, looking down at it as the superstitions of the unwashed masses. They look at Christianity as the opiate for the masses, as it's been said but we will find them like Goliath, laying dead on the ground with a stone sunken into their forehead, so to speak. A mighty man of strength and steel, Goliath, taken out with a stone not even cut by human hands. So the mighty indeed will be brought down. The mighty indeed will be sent away empty. It says in verse 53, that he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. That's important we understand what the Bible speaking of here. The Bible speaks of the rich, not just in terms of wealth. The rich are those that are satisfied with the world, or in love with this world, or in love with material things, or their position of fame, or influence, or whatever it is. They love those things more than they love God. And this includes those people that today would come to Jesus for life improvement, not to submit to to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but simply to come to him hoping to gain something, hoping to add Christianity to their life, to, to help them cope with life, to help them improve their lives. See, these are the people that love the things of the world more than God. They're coming to Jesus to gain more of the material things. It's not the wrath of God that they fear. It's not that they understand their need of repentance from their sins. They come to gain something, some more of that material stuff that they love. The true believer, the heart of the true believer cries out, take the world, but give me Jesus. Those who are poor often see their needs for spiritual awakening. That's what Jesus spoke of. He spoke of the poor in spirit. In contrast, those who are comfortable are often blinded to what their true needs are, having most of their wants and needs worldly satisfied. 
This is why Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He said this not to suggest that wealth itself is the the mitigating factor for coming into the kingdom of God. No, but it was the love of the things of the earth more than God. And so we see the proud. They have no fear and receive no mercy. Now this is said, of course, that his mercy is for those who fear him. And the implication would be those who do not fear him should not expect mercy. The second commandment that God gives comes with a promise. The second commandment says this, um, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, to have reverent and careful concern for God and his priorities is what that means. Fear is to consider him in all things, to choose our steps with him always foremost in our mind. That's what the fear of God is. The haughty, the proud, they do not fear God and therefore should not respect to receive mercy. Now, in contrast to that, we have the humble. And what do the humble do in this song of Mary here? Well, first of all, the humble magnify. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is simply, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to magnify him. To magnify is literally to make great. Now, we understand what she's saying here. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary cannot make God great. No one can make God anything. He's the maker. But we can point to his greatness, to bring attention to him. And then therefore, in essence, to those around us who see us, we have made God greater by pointing him out, by drawing attention to him, by glorifying him. This is what it means to magnify God. And when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, that is what I, my very living being is drawing attention to, is pointing toward God to show how great he is. She is worshiping with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength here. This is what it means to magnify God, to show others how great he is, greater than what they think, greater than what we can even imagine. And then she says in parallel to that, in a beautiful Hebrew parallelism here, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Joy is a defining word of the Christmas season. Rejoicing is just the verbal form of joy. And joy is better than happiness. It endures all manner of circumstances and does not fade as happiness does. It's a deep contentedness of soul that cannot be taken 
away. She rejoices in what God has done, that he has brought salvation. And notice that Mary says, God, my Savior. Yes, Mary needed a Savior just like you and I do. Nothing in the Bible says she was perfect. This implies that she understood she was not perfect. This is the very definition of humility. Her soul magnifies. Her spirit rejoices. This mood of Mary's in this moment is all-encompassing. This is not something superficial. And look at the beautiful poetry that pours out of the heart of this spirit-filled woman. And then she begins to expound on why she's rejoicing and magnifying the Lord. That's because his people are looked upon. He is looked upon. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God sees his people, and there is nowhere we can go from his presence. Every need is seen before we see it. Every prayer is heard for his own. Every prayer is answered. And the Bible promises that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you remember when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and God speaks to Moses and he says, I've heard and I have seen what's going on with my people and I'm sending you to bring them out. He was the answer to their prayers. And indeed, God hears, God sees, God knows the state of his people. And look what she says. She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And, you know, in a sense, in in what we would say in theatrical terms is Mary almost breaks the fourth wall here. In other words, that's when the audience is addressed. That's when it is recognized that the character is speaking in a story. And it's almost like Mary breaches that fourth wall and says, you know what? From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. It's like she knew that this was going to be recorded and passed down like the rest of Scripture. And from what she says, it's very clear she has a great understanding of Scripture. And now she is understanding herself to be written into the story. And here it is, almost 2,000 years later, and indeed we have counted her blessed. But talk about Spirit-inspired All the people of God are blessed because they are people of God. All those who know God are blessed. And the definition of eternal life that Jesus gave was that we would know him and know the Father. He has done great things for his people. And they have done, he has uh, made a practice of this. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. I don't think Mary knew 100% what was going to happen over the coming years. Uh, Simeon gives her, in the next chapter, gives her a hint at this, that a sword will pierce your own heart also. In other words, this is not going to be an easy road for you, Mary. And it wasn't an easy road for her. And, and it started off rough because here she is, pregnant before having, uh, legitimately married her husband. And that would be scandalous in those days and in that culture 
uh, as it should be at all times. But he is the active God. He is the living God who acts for his people, who delivers his people. He rules in justice and righteousness forever, and he has done great things. And indeed, he has. And finally, those that, uh, not finally, I have many more, <laughs> but finally, those that uh, know the Lord receive mercy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I want you to notice that this is qualified, that this is not just, you know, oh, oh peace and love to everybody, who, whoever was. No, this is, his mercy is for those who fear him. And indeed, we need mercy. It's worth saying that mercy is needed. Mercy only makes sense to those who are under wrath those who deserve something other than kindness from God. And that would be all of us. Mercy only makes sense. See, mercy is the withholding of some kind of a deserved consequence. And that God has had mercy on us, has wrapped up in it the, the need for justice the need for wrath because our sins come up before God. He is a holy God. He is a good God. A good judge cannot let someone go free, someone who has sinned against the law, sinned against other people. He cannot simply let them walk out. And so we've received mercy from God. It's so uh, almost funny as you study these things, as you learn these things, as you understand the biblical perspective of truth and of justice and of love and righteousness, how foolish it is when people ask, how could God let bad things happen? How could God, um, you know, fools who ask these things are not recognizing what they themselves deserve. And fools who ask such questions are not looking at the wages due them for their sin. What we need from God is not explanations, is not apologies, is not accountability to justify himself for bad things that happen in the world. No, what we need from God, first and foremost, primarily, right now, urgently, is mercy. And that's the difference between the boastful who deny God, who hate God, and the humble who love God. Because those who are humble, they, they approach God with this in view, that we need mercy. Not that God has sinned against me and owes me an explanation, but I have sinned and I have no excuse. Please, Lord, have mercy on me. Remember the verses we opened up with in Luke chapter 18? This man went down to his house justified. In other words, the one who recognized he was a sinner. The one who beat his chest and was afraid to lift his eyes to heaven. He says, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus is like, that's the one who went down to his house justified. In other words, his prayer for God to be merciful was answered because of the way in which this man approached. This is the lesson that we see.
In Luke 19, 14, his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him. In other words, in the, in the, the garden, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I want to go back to, to 18, 14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As we see in Luke 1, 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This is the contrast that Mary's giving us here, and it is so beautiful, this contrast of God. And they, so the people of God, the humble, those who fear God, they are ultimately exalted. They're the ones lifted up. This is the great reversal that I spoke of. This is what Jesus spoke of in the Beatitudes. He lifted up his uh, eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. There's a great reversal that has come with Jesus Christ. Those things that the world loves, that the world cherishes, the people that the world exalts and lifts up as these are great men. Well, they will be the ones that will ultimately be humbled. And those that the world has despised, those who have been persecuted for their backwards religion, for their, their strange ways, for, their, for being judgmental, they are the ones who will ultimately be lifted up. It's a great reversal. He reveals, uh, Mary speaks of this as being filled. The, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The needy, the hungry, the lowly, the humble, they're filled. While those who are satisfied with the world and the way it is and satisfied with themselves, this, this smugness, this self-satisfaction, this self-righteousness, um, they are going to be turned away. And those that are loved by God are ultimately helped. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Israel in the old covenant the, and true Israel in the new covenant, those who have entered in by faith. This is the story of the Bible. This is the invitation of Christmas. The very invitation of Christmas is, is that the, the humble and the proud, there's a great dividing going on. There's a great change happening. And I want to give you some encouragements to take away with you today. As you celebrate Christmas time, as you gather together with people and loved ones to, to recognize the holiday, there's a couple things that I want you to be mindful of. First of all is this, humbly receive the glad tidings of Christmas. And see Mary as an example here, for Mary received these things. 
in the proper and right way. Just before she went to visit Elizabeth, when the angel came to see her, this was the conclusion of the matter after her discussion with the angel of what was going to happen. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Understand that there is no sin so great that you could have committed that would keep you from the mercy of God if you will but turn to him and repent. Understand that we cannot let anything get in our way of this. It is that important. We must lay aside all pride. We must lay aside our love for our sin, our love for the things of this world, what Mary was resolving herself to, and I think she understood more than she let on here, what she was resolving herself to was to put herself completely in the hands of God for life. And I think she understood this was an awesome responsibility, but I think she also understood that she would have the power of God to complete it. And so she places herself, I am the servant of the Lord. It's better to be a slave in the house of God than a king on the earth. And I don't know how to show you that except by example from the scriptures to understand his goodness, to understand his kindness, the things that Mary saw, the salvation that she saw, the salvation that she experienced were well worth all that she had to endure. Indeed, humbly receive the glad tidings of Christmas. Put yourself at the disposal of God. For indeed, you were made by him. You do not take a breath that is not from his great mercy to keep you going. And so give it all back to him, him who rightly owns it, he who can rightly steer it and hand it over to him. And then secondly, announce this coming Messiah, the Christ. Messiah means Christ. This is Jesus, our Lord. Invite others also to receive him. Look how John introduces his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, he says, To all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Make that invitation to your loved ones. Do you realize that every moment that your loved ones spend lost, Every moment that they're on the wrong side of this divide that Jesus has made, they risk a hardening of their heart, or as the Bible says, a searing of their conscience. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time for repentance. Time is short. And now is the time to beg those whom you love to try to understand and to repent of their sins and to trust Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So many people demand a sign from God. Here's a sign. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this, and it is still changing lives. This is a living and active word that has redirected the course of human lives, the course of nations. This is the truth, 
and the truth sets us free. Proclaim it to those who love you. And just ask them very simply, do you know why Jesus came? And that can start a beautiful conversation. Trust the Lord to guide your words in this. And if they will not hear it, they will not hear it. It's okay. You don't need to ruin the holiday, but you need to make the invitation. They have opened the door by having a Christmas, by having a celebration, by gathering together with family during this time of year. They have opened the door to the conversation about Christmas. And you have every right. In fact, you have the responsibility, the command of Jesus Christ to make disciples. So please share this with others. This babe that came in a manger, this quiet, this innocent, this seemingly harmless Jesus is coming back in a way that is a complete contrast to the way he came the first time. The clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. Every human being alive will see it, and every human being will bow the knee and confess with their tongue, Jesus is Lord. Some will go on to everlasting destruction, but some will join him in everlasting life. The glad tidings of Christmas, the joy and the peace and the hope that we speak of are for those who fear him, who obey his commands. To them he gives eternal life, peace with God, peace and joy everlasting. So now go and celebrate that the difficulties of this world, that the trials, that the tears, that these things are all but temporary and permanent is the coming of your Messiah and the peace that he will bring upon earth for all those who love his appearing. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this day and we thank you for bringing us together in this way. We thank you for your servant Mary and her wonderful example of obedience. We thank you, Lord, for intervening in her life and for uh, bringing Jesus Christ into the world. We thank you for all that he has accomplished and all indeed that he will. For indeed, he has done great things for us. So Lord, let us celebrate. Let us celebrate and let us lift up his name. And let us boldly proclaim how great he is. How good is the mercy of the Lord. How everlasting the peace that he brings. How wonderful the gifts he gives to those that fear him. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to uh, contact us if you have any questions, any concerns, any comments about this whatsoever. You can find more about us at whitesrun.org. You can email me personally at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com, and I will answer your questions, even your objections, even your insults. I'll have a good time with those as well, because indeed, uh, we want to give you all opportunity to interact with us and to have your questions answered. And we can even help you find a church in your area. So email us at whitesrunbaptistgmail.com. We can help you find a local church that faithfully proclaims the truth from the Word of God.